do you see a regional theater successfully inserting this play and bringing this play into their season? No brainer. For you, uh, any season. This is our history. This is our legacy. We're thrilled to have a special guest on this week's podcast. Awoye Tempo. Welcome. Awoye is a director and founder of Classics. Classics is a series created to explode our understanding of the classical canon through an exploration of black performance history and dramatic works by black writers. They define these classic works as plays by authors of African descent from around the world that speak profoundly to the times in which they were written and resonate deeply with our own. Classics engages artists, historians, students, professors, producers, and audiences to launch these plays into the public imagination and spark productions worldwide. Wow, wow, wow. This is a mission so near and dear to our Expand the Canon hearts. It is so incredible to see this work that you are doing. Awoye, what are you and Classics up to these days? Hey, well, first of all, thank you both so much for having me on. It's so great to be chatting with you and to hear your voices. We have a couple projects right now that we're really excited about. One is a podcast of our own called Reclamation. Go follow that. Go subscribe to it right now. (laughs) And so Reclamation is a podcast series that covers different eras of Black theater history and Black performance history. So Um, The first, we call them acts, so the first act will be black performance in the era of minstrelsy, and then we're starting to explore two other acts that will be based around um, different groups of playwrights. So it's really, it's really, really exciting. So the podcast is one big thing, and then the second thing is that we are um, gearing up. We've been collaborating with Theater for a New Audience, and they are producing a production of Alice Childress's amazing play, Wedding Band. Um, yes. And so that will be that will be coming soon as well. Incredible. And, you know, first of all, we are definitely going to link to your podcast here in the, in mm-hmm. the notes below. So please check that out. And also how thrilling when we found um, Wedding Band and added it to our 2020 list, we were just begging for people to do it and it is so thrilling to see it come to life here in the borough that we were in and also with you at the helm so i just want everyone to run 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 go see that play go see that play yes thank you and the last thing i should mention which is kind of connected to this all is that um, classics is developing a what we call the classics catalog and that is a place online. Um, if people go to the website, which is t h e c l a s s i x dot org, classics dot org, and go to catalog. And um, what it is is really a place for people who are looking for plays, who want to learn more about Black playwrights. Uh, you go to the website, and you'll see right um, right now there are 10. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have all 53 of our first round on the website. Wow. And you can find and the artist's Amazing. bio, a list of their plays, a link 
to where you can find the play. So you'll see all, everything's kind of linked to whether or not yeah, you could find it in the library system. Um, and then we have a list of the unpublished plays and then resources, which is just if there's any video interviews with the, with the writers and also if there's any other writings, if they wrote other books, interviews, articles, etc. We hope that it can be a really fun um, resource for, for people. That absolutely blows me away. I know, you know, through Expand the Canon, we create this catalog of nine plays every year spanning history. And I know how much work it takes to like put up nine plays every year. Yes. So I, my brain just explodes with like excitement and awe when you say there's going to be over 50 plays there. That is a triumph and what a beautiful thing to create for this world. Yeah, it's, it's been, again, like we're just so lucky. We're just learning constantly. And for this project, because as you say, it's so epic, um, we hired an, just an incredible team of researchers and they did really just a tremendous job. So it's been definitely a, a large team effort, but we're really, really so proud of, of the work that everybody's done. I'm uh, curious, you know, because you are approaching uh, classics and so are we, and we often get lost in this rabbit hole of <laughs> what is the time period that makes something classic or classical? And I do think classical is kind of different, but we like to use the word classic. Mm. Do you have any kind of date parameters that you look for work within? So I'll say yes, and it's a little bit of um kind of an abstract parameter, but when classics first started, it was a reading series of four plays. And one of the playwrights, his name is Bill Gunn, and we included his piece, um, The Forbidden City. And so we have kind of hilariously framed our classics date as ending in 1989. But it's really using that play, The Forbidden City, as kind of like the edge point. And then the turning point into like the 90s is kind of a different era. So we're, we're kind of, we're looking at plays written prior to 1990. Beautiful, beautiful. It's something, it's a moving target for us yeah. too. We started out with 1965, we've moved it up to 1970. Mm, we're beginning to sniff in those early 70s. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Mm. <laughs> and it's such an interesting question because, I mean, there are plays, so as I'm saying, you know, Bill Gunn's Forbidden City, it was written in 1989, but, you know, it's not a play that most people are familiar with. He's not a writer most people are familiar with. But if we think about what what classic plays are and, like, who classic, writer, who classic writers are, who writers that just stand the test of mm -hmm. time, like writers who we need to know and understand and make, want to make sure are not left behind. He's, you know, very much at the top of my list for sure, but he's not someone who we learn about now. And so it felt really important for us to make sure that those writers as well were included. Yeah, that's, that's really special. I think another thing that that's made us rethink our time span is also when we think about American classics as well. And we see, you know, a lot of plays by people of color uh, having a heavier presence later on in the 20th century and that's why we keep kind of pushing that deadline because they are beautiful plays that deserve to be in the classics and they stand the test of time but they're just they're not in the age the the time frame that we've yeah. outlined so yeah. there's also that issue exactly um now I could speak in endlessly about what it is to be a classic but we're here on a podcast about a classic 
Furiwa. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, one of the reasons that we are talking to Awoye is that you really seem to find this, found this really beautiful niche for yourself working not just with the, you know, classics, but also with contemporary African playwrights and first-generation African-American playwrights. And um, the last time we spoke, you know, you felt like there was a movement underway that we were beginning to see more African and African diaspora theater coming into um, world stages. And I'm, I'm curious, are you still seeing that kind of momentum carrying forward as we come out of, hopefully, fingers crossed, this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's really, you know, it's so, it's been so invigorating to work with um, collaborators like Ngozi Anyawu and Mpaniso Udafia and Jocelyn Bio. you know. It's, it's really thrilling the work that all of them have been doing over the course of the past decade even. And I think that it's only going to continue to grow, you know. All three of those, just interestingly enough, um, and I should mention Denai Guerrera as well, and, you know, all, all four of them all be, you know, began their kind of professional careers as actors and all trained as actors, but also had all of these wonderful, amazing stories that they wanted to make sure to be, that were told, you know, which were the stories of, of the places that we all come from, that being, you know, Ghana, Nigeria, um, Eastern Africa as well. And I, I, I definitely think it's going to continue because I think there's just more and more artists who are evolving at this time and coming up at this time who are going to also continue to, to write and begin to write. So I'm excited to see what story I'm excited to see what stories they tell. It's really magnificent. I also have such hope as we see kind of contemporary playwrights get their space that it will make a play like Foriwa, something that we are considering a classic out of Ghana, a bit more approachable because hopefully producers and audiences will become more accustomed to seeing, you know, plays from other cultures on stages and think, oh yeah, let us see kind of what the history, what these plays are coming out of and really allow that to have a space in our canon as well. Yeah, and this is the place where you, it's sometimes you just think like how absurd white supremacy is also. It's like we've been watching Chekhov plays for how long? We've been watching Shakespeare plays for exactly how long? It, it's part already of our kind of American cultural theater going experience to watch plays from other countries. It's just that they've been so kind of codified into the system of what we're doing. There's like literally no difference of, you know, what it means to do an Ama Ataedu play than what it means to do a, a Chekhov play. You know, it's the same. It's, a, it's all a different culture to the American culture, and it's just about what gets um, welcome, what gets produced, what we what we deem kind of safe or un unsafe to produce on on stages, and what we imagine you know the theater quote unquote audiences are going to um, be able to understand or be interested in, you know. But that's all cultivated at the end of the day. So I feel like it's 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 putting putting something like Foriwa on stage um, here is it's it's the same thing. Yeah, here, here, exactly. And like, it's just allowing, allowing these great classics the place that they deserve. Exactly. As we think about kind of building those bridges from, let's say, 
You know, a regional theater in the United States has, like, produced a million Chekhov plays. They have embraced kind of looking into Russian culture and understanding how these plays fit in that kind of place and time. What do we think an American theater company that wants to take on a play like Foriwa needs to do to kind of build that competency that perhaps hasn't been there because of white supremacy? You know, I think it, it takes, um, let's say if you're doing, I'll, I'll just continue to use the Chekhov example. If you're doing a Chekhov play, what's the context that you give for, for that play? And some of these are like really specific, right? If you take a play like Foriwa, for example, um, there might be a couple things that culturally are, are useful to understand. However, you know, the play itself is really quite clear. You know, it's about love. It's about marriage. You know, it's about things that are very kind of um, culturally accessible, even though the culture is different than, mm -hmm. you know, the culture of the South or the culture of the Northeast. So uh, the, the play itself is actually really quite clear. I think the other tools are around context that can actually just, you know, allow the audience to enjoy the piece even even more because they have more information, not that the piece itself needs any additional um, translation, you know what I mean? So I think that the key mm -hmm. for the theaters is to think, as we all have to as we're thinking about what it means to produce any play right now, what is it? What is the thing about this piece that is going to resonate with our specific audience right now? Um, and if that, if a piece like uh, Foriwa is a, is that piece, then um, you know, then the theater's actually done already the work that needs to be done to to, to determine what it means to produce that piece now. Yeah, that's um, that's very well said. And on on that same vein of you know what we need to produce and the things that we keep in mind when we're adding a play to our season, like a play like Foriwa, when we produced a reading of Foriwa with the lovely Goldie Patrick at the helm, we chose to use Ghanaian dialects and set it, you know, in virtually in a Ghanaian village as it is said in the stage directions. But do you think this play could be set elsewhere? And um, when we think of, you know, a Midwestern regional theater putting this play up that might not have access to Ghanaian actors or actors that can put, you know, perform with a Ghanaian accent. My first impulse is to say that the play wants to be honored in the dialect and, mm -hmm. and within the culture that it is actually that it is actually written, and with that said, that you know, in the same way I have done Cool Girls in Berkeley, California, it's like the mm -hmm. thing that we do mm -hmm. is we bring in actors who are who will be able to rise to the task of telling the telling the story and who will be able to really conquer um, and delight in you know what it means to get the the dialect and the and the culture you know that it's not a thing that's out of reach and so really just as with right, any right. other play we, we find the people who are right for that play who are going to bring it to life in the most dynamic way and we know that there is such a tremendous range of of wonderful wonderful actors um, all around the country to to engage in that in that challenge. So I think that you know the commitment to doing the play is a commitment to doing just that. I love what you said earlier about the the bones of a classic. That when we look for plays for the expanded canon list, we really look for plays that resonate 
widely. And this idea that, like, yes, everyone can understand this beautiful love story between Foriwa and Lavaran. And yes, the story of rebuilding a, a village, of uh, investing our time and energy in the place we call home, is deeply universal. And yet, at the same time, something you have to wrestle with in Foriwa, or better said, something that you have to produce in Foriwa is a very large ritual scene in the middle that is deeply part of a Ghanaian tradition. And I don't even want to say Ghana at large. I mean, mm -hmm. it's very specific to this village and this place. Mm -hmm. And finding the resources to make sure that you can approach that scene in a way that feels like it honors the traditions in there, I think is probably about making sure that you have the community support that you have the person to reach out to, right? If you don't have the person to reach out to, maybe you need to start having more conversations before doing this play. What are your thoughts? <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's 100% right. Because, you know, the thing is, if you're going to do this play by this extraordinary playwright, you want to do it really, really well, right? And so what are, you know, I always think about, you know, as we're building plays, in, in production, like, what what are the things that we need in order to make the thing great and let the thing feel true, right? And so we have mm. to build from a foundation of what the team is and what the environment is, and then we have to build up from there, right? So you have to make sure that yeah. you, have a, you have a dramaturg who's really, really specific about, who really understands the culture of the place, to be able to do that. And sometimes it might require two people. You might say, I, we have inside of the theater a dramaturg, but that dramaturg is actually not really an expert at all on, you know, Ghanaian culture, right? So then it's about, okay, mm -hmm. bringing the dramaturg on and also saying, do we need to bring on some other consultant who's working in collaboration with the dramaturg, who's working in collaboration with the director and the rest of the team to make sure that everything is kind of anchored always in something true and honest, right? And then similarly, thinking about the dialect. You know, oftentimes when we're working on, I'm working on a show with any of those playwrights that I mentioned, that we were talking about earlier, Jocelyn and Faniso and Ngozi, you know, we actually often have two dialect persons on staff because it's very rare to be able to find someone who's actually already has expertise around West African dialects. So what we do is we bring in a dialect coach, right, and also bring in a native speaker to that language, and then the two of those people work together. So we don't, ex we don't, you know, put the onus on one person who's not an expert on a thing to be an expert. We bring another expert in and let two people who are experts at the things that they do collaborate so that we can make sure that the actors have all the resources that they need to be able to successfully elevate the language, right? And so it's really then about, you know, also um, in some places really rethinking and giving the, giving the theaters room to really reimagine okay, what are the pieces that we need in order to do this successfully? And I think that would be true not of just, um, you know, this Ghanaian drama, but if you were doing a Chinese opera, you know, or any other piece. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you have all the right people so that at any, at any point you know that whatever questions you have that might come up, 
can be answered by somebody who understands the thing from the source. I fully agree. And this makes me think of a conversation I had um, in early January when I was in a room with a bunch of people who are in charge of theaters and who are putting together seasons. And we're talking about, you know, how theater rooms are changing and the people who are in the rooms or who need to be in the rooms is changing the need for it's no longer just a stage manager, a director, you know, it's a stage manager, a director, a dramaturg a um, intimacy director, a dialect coach, you know, all of these people that actually, you know, make it, make our experience as authentic and as true to the piece as we can. And I think we're realizing as we're kind of broadening our minds to what a classic is and opening ourselves to all of these other classics, we're realizing the importance of having these people collaborate together to really tell a story truthfully. Absolutely. And um, uh, what I want to underline and what we're both saying here, what you're both saying here, is that um, any resources needed to produce a work like Foriwa in your season are the same resources that you would need for any play. So it is not a gatekeeper. It is not a hurdle to get over. It is, in fact, just building a thoughtful team, which is what producers do all the time. And what an amazing opportunity to really engage with a local community, if you are bringing in, say, a native speaker with a dialect coach, like we're always in theater looking for ways to really engage our audience and the folks that live in our kind of, you know, sphere to engage more deeply in our work. And that's a beautiful opportunity to do Mm -hmm. exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay, so we're talking about this play and the importance of this play and a question that we we've compared this play on our website to our town and do you see a regional theater in the middle of the u.s successfully substituting this work successfully inserting this play and bringing this play into their season you know it's interesting because the answer the answer is definitely the answer is definitely yes the thing that i'm um, thinking about and wrestling wrestling with is it's a framing thing not for not even just for not not even for just our kind of conversation but a sense of we have so many plays at our fingertips all of us have all of these plays <laughs> incredible plays at our fingertips and at, at our disposal mm-hmm. right and each of these mm-hmm. plays is um a kind of a gateway into understanding ourselves as human beings in a new way and in a really dynamic way and in a way that lets us ask new questions about who we are and who we're becoming and who we want to be, right? So Mm -hmm. any play that does that should be a play that is under consideration, I think, at any theater, right? And yeah. so, you know, I understand the framing of in, in essentially in relationship to our town because, you know, find because there's like, oh, there's connected tissue here, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's also that what is what is the way that we now as we are entering into this new, ch- I mean, really new chapter of our existence together on this planet, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, like what is the way that we want to think about and want to use all of these incredible plays that are so profound and so powerful and and unique as well you know how are we thinking about how to pull from 
all of these different kinds of plays? How are we creating um, theater spaces that are not about the things that we know, but about the things that are unknown? And what are the plays that are mm -hmm. gonna give us um, access and give us a portal into those new worlds and dimensions? So it's really, it's, 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 I think it's part of an even larger question about how open, how bold, how experimental, how, 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 how broad do we want to be and think about our potentials of storytelling as we move forward as theater storytellers inside of, you know, the quote unquote American theater. That is really the question. If, and if, if, if we are wanting to engage with ourselves and all of that possibility, then no brainer for you uh, any season. Can I like cross stitch everything you just said and then like hang it on my wall? That was beautiful. I know. <laughs> I was literally just so nodding so intensely and I truly felt everything that you just said. That was beautiful. And that is a great way to just frame. I hope that's a great way that everybody uses kind of to reframe their seasons in this new, like you said, this new age that we're entering into as a world. But for us in theater, um, that was just really beautifully said. Thank, Thank you. you. And can we just say the tagline of this episode now is no brainer for you any season. <laughs> 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 yes. What a wonderful. Yes. Everyone just go produce this play and create a larger version of our collective humanity. Thank you. <laughs> Incredible. Um, this conversation could go on endlessly. I would love it to. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your incredible thoughts about kind of the future of theater as well as this play for you. I am, again, so excited that you are directing a play from the 2020 Expand the Canon list with Theater for a New Audience that is Wedding Band by Alice Childress. It is closing May 15th, and we really hope that everyone listening to this podcast will go and check out wedding band and if you don't live in brooklyn that's fine we're open for business come visit it'll be a great it'll be a great destination theater event now if you want to hear more about wedding band and basically i think shannon you and i did that podcast last year right yes we did and it's like in a, it's a 30 minute love fest to alice childress so if you want more of this great yeah. content head over to that podcast and check it out <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Awoye, thank you so much for taking your valuable time and spending it with us here on this podcast. It has been such an honor to have you um, on This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater podcast. Thank you both so much. Yes. Great to talk to both of you. Yes. Thank you so much. And um, we can't wait to see Wedding Band. <laughs>